This is SG2 Perspectives, a conversation with SG2 experts and industry thought leaders about the biggest trends in healthcare and what we expect that's going to mean for the future of healthcare delivery. The 80s is going to remain a steady place where seniors will receive care. In 2020, one in four adults aged 50 to 80 visited the ED within the last two years. And SG2 is forecasting a 21% increase in ED visits over the next 10 years for the 65 plus population. Systems are addressing this today by making EDs more senior friendly, by making age-considerate physical designs, implementing standardized screenings and assessments, and also leveraging a team-based approach to completely understand the patient's physical, mental, and social needs. Welcome to SG2 Perspectives. I'm your host, Trevor Duran. Today, we get to talk about a topic that's tangentially connected to a bunch of areas in which I've done research before, but we have the real experts today in Liz Hayjack and Rima Bula to talk about senior care strategy. They just wrote a frequently asked question document about it, so you can read more about this on sg2.com. They're going to walk us through some of the key findings in the research and some of the most exciting things they're seeing from health systems around the country. This is an area I've heard as a top priority, top segment that health systems, big and small, urban and rural, are tackling right now. I'm really excited to see what they learned. Liz, you get the first tough question, though. When does senior care start? Is 65 the magic number? How are health systems defining this population? So there are really three things to consider when thinking about how to define a senior. First, we know that historically 65 has been the threshold that we've used to define a patient as a senior because of the simplicity of using the Medicare qualifying age. But we also know that a comprehensive senior care program should engage patients well before they reach that milestone. So in our research, we found that the cost per person for healthcare starts rising at the age of 50 as we see chronic diseases emerging. That indicates to us that preventative care should start as early as 50 or really sooner, even though that patient might not be a traditional senior or really fall into that category. We want to make sure we're getting to those patients before the cost starts rising. Second, it's important to not only talk about when that cohort should begin, but also when we expect that cohort to end. We know that one in four adults aged 65 or older today will live past 90 and one in 10 will live past 95. So these senior care programs will be expected to support patients for longer durations as people live into older age. And finally, we also know that senior care needs to be defined not only by age, but also by health status because people will experience these milestones at different phases of life. The AARP suggests that the need for geriatric-specific care should begin when a patient presents with two or more chronic conditions, experiences mental decline, or has mobility issues. That first point you made about care starting closer to 50 really syncs up with a lot of the more advanced health systems that have been doing senior-focused primary care for a long time, often because there's such a connection to their Medicare Advantage plan that starting 55 is kind of the magic number I've heard, so that they get patients connected to the program and to the providers, and then you can roll them into an associated MA plan or product. So that makes tons of sense. All right, where have health systems had success? What's some of the low-hanging fruit where they've already been successful? And what are some of the biggest rocks or the places where there's the biggest opportunity for improvement? Systems have traditionally focused on the acute setting when talking about managing the senior care population. And we know this because of rising acuity, creating a capacity crunch, and making sure that we have the beds to take care of the patients that we need. But in order to be successful in managing the care continuum for the senior population, systems have to establish a senior care strategy that supports age-friendly, culturally competent, and comprehensive care across the entire system of care. 
Geisinger is a great example of a system that's created opportunities for these senior patients across the entire system of care from the home and wellness space all the way through the post-acute setting. They have the Geisinger Silver Circle, which is a wellness program supporting a patient's physical, emotional, and social health. They also have their Geisinger 65 Forward Health Centers that are reinventing primary care for those that are 65 plus. Life Geisinger is a PACE program that's intended to keep patients out of the skilled nursing facility and independently living at home. And Geisinger at Home also achieves the goal of aging in place by bringing care to patients at home. So you can see they've got a comprehensive offering of senior care programs. For systems who are just beginning or don't have the entire system of care planned out yet, the good news is that you don't have to start from scratch in establishing these offerings because there are already numerous programs and certifications in existence today that can serve as those building blocks. So there's the age-friendly health system program that can be applied both to the inpatient and outpatient setting, the geriatric emergency department accreditation, and many other programs that are sponsored by CMS. That's great. So they can take guidance from existing programs that make some of the decisions easy around how and what to build and what's going to be most effective. That makes sense. All right, Rima, talk about it from a consumer perspective. What do seniors want senior care to look like? They value being familiar with their provider, having the trust and the convenience. This is also reflected in our SG2 consumer survey, which is conducted every few years in partner with Claritas with 25,000 respondents. The most recent survey results showed that the baby boomers and the silent generation accounted for 54% of these responses. Their top five consumer preferences are aging in place, easy access to personal health information, convenient location, access to preferred providers, and maintaining a continuous respectful experience with the entire care team. That makes total sense. And that's broad brushstrokes. That's how people often think about the value of their network. It's convenience and consistency. Talk about digital, though, remote. There's such an opportunity there, especially as more care is shifting to the home, especially as more consumers are getting accustomed to using it. But we've always heard anecdotal and we've seen in our data a little bit of pushback from the senior populations. How are digital solutions getting tailored to this audience? Technology and healthcare is constantly evolving. The top three most current digital solutions are wearables, remote patient monitoring, and telehealth. All of these technologies also have the potential to really enhance the senior care models. When you look at the traditional healthcare assessments, those involve the patient to be in the clinic with the entire care team and often require additional services afterwards. However, this approach doesn't really give you the whole comprehensive, long-term patient evaluation, which is necessary to meet the needs of the aging, growing population. By embracing some of these digital solutions, we can provide that continuous remote monitoring as well as bring in that virtual medical care and really revolutionize senior care. It also allows for a more comprehensive and continuous evaluation of the patient, which is going to improve quality outcomes later down the road. We know there are barriers such as digital exclusion and digital illiteracy. However, healthcare systems are utilizing digital navigators and community resources such as public libraries to bridge that gap. As technology continues to advance and become more accessible, we can expect an increasing number of applications of digital solutions to be in the healthcare space. This has the potential to greatly benefit both healthcare providers and patients and really improve the quality and accessibility of senior care. There's definitely going to be some tailored roles that AI can play here. My grandmother used to try to send Alexa a Christmas card. 
There's some special way to tailor this for the senior population. We've seen Best Buy do a great job of repurposing the Geek Squad to be that digital navigator you were talking about and help people get set up with new technology at home. We've seen partnerships between Best Buy and health systems to be that go-between and get people set up for remote patient monitoring or telehealth services post-hospitalization. There's probably a way bigger role that they could play there. And I love some of the really simple technology solutions I've seen for seniors where ultimately it's just repurposing their television to do virtual visits because the phone screen is so small. The technology to do it could actually be really little, but they made it look like a cable box so that it's just a more familiar piece of hardware to bring into the home and you just plug it in the television and it does everything to facilitate and make virtual visits easier. So I love seeing some of those tailored solutions. Liz, I want to talk more about holistic program design. So many initiatives outside of the acute care setting are going to be about keeping patients out of the ED. How do you mentioned an ED certification specific to seniors earlier? How do you make the ED a better environment for senior care? Yeah, so you're absolutely right in saying that the ED is going to remain a steady place where seniors will receive care. In 2020, one in four adults aged 50 to 80 visited the ED within the last two years, and SG2 is forecasting a 21% increase in ED visits over the next 10 years for the 65-plus population. Systems are addressing this today by making EDs more senior-friendly, by making age-considerate physical designs, implementing standardized screenings and assessments, and also leveraging a team-based approach to completely understand the patient's physical, mental, and social needs. So this can include things like pharmacy-led medication reviews, social worker intervention, informed transition planning, and risk assessments. Some systems are creating senior-specific EDs, while others are trying to make existing EDs just more senior-friendly. As you mentioned, there is a geriatric emergency department accreditation program. This was co-created by the American College of Emergency Physicians, the American Geriatric Society, the Emergency Nurses Association, and the Society for Academic Emergency Medicine. And that provides great guidelines and best practices on where to start. It's got some of the physical design aspects that make a a system more age-friendly, as well as some of these team-based care and assessment implementations that can help with making sure that our seniors have the best experience once they are in our EDs. Good job getting through all those acronyms. That's not easy. Independent living and aging in place have been buzzwords or focuses for the senior population for a long time, but it's kind of outside the traditional purview of a health system. But as health systems start to build more tailored services for seniors, it needs to be connected to those broader goals. How are health systems achieving that? Yeah, so hospital at home services have garnered significant interest over the last few years, but there's also immense potential for managing chronic diseases and providing primary care services within the home. The growth of in-home care creates opportunities for access, reduces overall cost, and improves quality outcomes. This is not just specific to the senior population, but all populations. Aging in place is essentially an extension of healthcare in the home setting, and it is increasingly utilized by the senior care population. To achieve the goal of aging in place, there are already established programs like PACE, which is known as the Program of All-Inclusive Care for the Elderly, which offers seniors the ability to access healthcare in their community while living at home. These programs have also shown successful results in reducing preventable hospitalizations. To achieve the goal of aging in place, there are already established programs like PACE, which is known as the Program of All-Inclusive Care for the Elderly. This program offers seniors the ability to access healthcare in their community while living at home. And these programs have also been successful in reducing preventable hospitalizations as well. That's good. Yeah. In a previous life, I worked at United Cerebral Palsy, service provider for people with disabilities, very similar goals. And we started working with AARB because 
the idea of living independently with a disability in your 30s was very similar to someone in their 70s looking to maintain independent living. Of course, there's all kinds of technological ways to do that. The challenge for the health system is going to be how to connect to any existing features, components, technology applications, caregivers that are outside of the traditional health system that seniors may be interacting with. For smaller health systems, often a strength building those community connections. For bigger health systems, I think it's a challenge because their their reach is so big, their geographic scope is so big, and there's so many potential partners to keep track of here. But at the same time, I don't think they're ever going to get into really being the owners of everything around independent living and keeping seniors independent. So it's a tough balance. Health systems have to decide how they play. How should health systems try to build partnerships with those many institutions across the community who are already providing some segment of services or care for seniors but are never going to be competitors with a health system? To start, I think it's important to evaluate existing programs and identify any barriers or unmet needs within the system. From there, consider options to build, buy, or partner to address these opportunities, utilizing resources available in the community to strengthen your system of care. At the end, I think it's important to also remember that you don't have to do this alone. Collaboration is key in this process. I think following that, that once you have that foundation in place, systems really need to think boldly and creatively about how to meet the future needs of this evolving population. We've already seen the emergence of new jobs such as virtual sitters, companion robots, and death doulas. So we're curious to see what other opportunities come about in this time of immense change in healthcare, especially as those partnerships blossom and evolve. There's already disruptor and innovator activity in this space. Systems truly need to be mindful of both these current and future states to stay competitive with the senior care population. What was something really surprising that you found? This is terrific research. It's great. I know many members are going to really eat it up. So what was something you found or discovered that was a surprise? It was unexpected. Liz, you can go first. I think what's unexpected for me is there are, as we mentioned, lots of these programs and certifications and accreditations in place, but they're highly underutilized. So the PACE programs that Rima had mentioned, a very small proportion of systems are engaged in any way in a PACE program, and yet it's proven to have such wonderful outcomes, although might be difficult to implement, and I know has a lot of administrative burden uh, that CMS is working through right now. As the government is more invested in this population, in controlling costs, in making sure that outcomes are favorable, systems really need to consider which programs they can engage in and not just engage in that entry level, but really engage in wholeheartedly. Rima, how about you? What was most surprising? To me, it was surprising to observe that many healthcare systems were not adequately addressing the differing technology usage patterns among the different age cohorts within that senior population. For example, an individual age 75 plus may have distinct preferences and capabilities compared to that of an individual age 65. It is crucial for healthcare systems to recognize that and accommodate these differences to effectively meet the needs of all age cohorts within the senior population. That's really good. How about one concluding thought for health systems as they're thinking about investment in the senior segment? What's one place, one piece of low-hanging fruit that you think is a good place to start? I would say in addition to rounding out your system of care and doing so leveraging partnerships, making sure that you're creating a program that's integrated 
looking at how you engage patients outside of the healthcare setting, which you can leverage those digital technologies Rima mentioned, making sure that primary care encompasses not only your traditional chronic care, but also all of the other specialty care they might be receiving, including behavioral health, because we know there's a tremendous prevalence of behavioral health issues with isolation and other issues in our senior care population. And then, of course, making sure that you integrate programs in that traditional post-acute setting to keep patients aging in place, since that's what they prefer. Great answers. There's something with this population about their legacy of respect for both the institutions that we're a part of and for providers specifically and their expectations for those institutions. I was with an organization in Vermont just last week, and I had an opportunity to interview their patient volunteers, which, as you can imagine, mostly all fit in this demographic. They talked for so long about how frustrating it is that the visitor stickers fall off and they find them around the hospital and they don't stay on well. And for me, I was like, yeah, I know it fell off and I crumbled it up and got rid of it. But for them, it was like, no, it's really important that we can show that we're visitors and the hospital is asking us to do this. We have to comply. We have to be helpful. There's something about engaging with this population and they're always going to think about our institutions a little differently, at least this generation is, than maybe I do or younger generations. So thanks for this great research. Thanks for sharing so much of what you learned with our listeners. Look forward to having you back on SG2 Perspectives again soon. Thanks for listening. If you like this episode, please subscribe, rate, and review us and or follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn at SG2 Healthcare. And if you want to talk more about innovative healthcare strategies, you can always email me at sg2perspectives at sg2.com. Finally, SG2's a Vizient company, and there are a bunch of Vizient podcasts that you might like. You can find them at Vizient backslash podcasts. Have a great day.